Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And you can listen on the web at kpoo.com slash listen. This is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown. And as promised, we are going to continue our conversation with Joka Hashima Jensai on the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex concept by Abdul Olubala Shakur. We are also going to be hearing from Setawa Nantambu Jama'a, who has started a hunger strike over at California Healthcare Facility because of the medical abuse and neglect that is taking place there. Uh, so get ready for a very powerful uh, show uh, because of the voices that you are going to be hearing here. And it is significant that you get to hear these voices here um, at KPOO because it's one of the few stations here, local San Francisco station, black run, black owned. It's been around for 50 years and they actually uh, do revolutionary work like provide this hour for prisoner issues, prison issues, um, unapologetically, and so appreciate them for this. And it reminds me that we are in our fun drive. So if you think it is important that uh, this radio station provides um, the voices of our people on the inside and the issues that uh, stem from that, um, legalized slavery that is taking place within our prisons, then please make your donation now by going to kpoo.com and you can make your contribution there online. And you, of course, can send in a check, a money order uh, to kpoo, P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. Please make that donation to KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And not only do you get this very precious hour, but you get incredible music that you're not going to hear anywhere else or that is not even being played. Um, there are wonderful uh, other uh, talk shows and, and um, the other incredible programmers that bring fabulous shows, um, and hearing again from the community about what is important to us. So please make that donation now. All right, we're going to go ahead and get started with Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a talking about the hunger strike that he is on. Now, I'm going to tell you, um, <clears throat> it is a little bit difficult to understand, so I am going to beg your patience to just listen hard. I want to be able to bring Satawa's voice to the airwaves. And so we're just going to start. And I think by listening to him on a more regular basis, you will be able to start to become familiar with how he speaks and, um, and understand that, you know, he, um, you know, suffered a stroke uh, about, it was, must have a year and a half, two years ago. And so we are still you know, in terms of the medical conditions that uh, come from that um, have definitely um, altered his speech some. But again, I think by hearing from him more often, you will become familiar uh, with uh, how he speaks, inflections and things like that. So um, I am asking you to just, you know, listen hard and uh, listen with intention. All right, here we go. I'll be 
Okay. Are you are you still um are you still hunger striking? Yeah, as of uh, as of Thursday and last week, today I've been on the hunger strike. I ain't been eating. Uh, I ain't been taking no vital signs, and I ain't been taking no medication since Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yes. Yeah, so how are how are you feeling? took a step to deal with it from, from where it should have been. I've been up here trying to play by the rules and stuff and have them to do what they had to do. What they remedied and stuff, but they ain't been doing it, as you know. So when I went on this homeless strike, I'm in the midst right now, right now, listening to mass. Okay. You know, the, when they took my physical therapy away, the woman almost, I almost felt, you know, injured myself all across me. I killed cause of the way I would have felt and stuff. So I'm writing all that up is a list of demands. One of them is they need to cease the attempted murder at my life. Then I did it three times. They tried to push me out the bed. The physical therapy didn't, didn't do a job out there. Put security on me, I couldn't feel. And I did, I fell into the chair. Just so happened. They could have possibly been just leaving a, a death wish for me in that floor. That was the second time. And when they did this shower thing, by putting two white guys in the shower in that closed area, they, they don't know what the medical staff don't know what was on their mind. They, they could have stabbed me in that shower. They could have harmed me in that shower. And it was just the three of us. The medical staff knew about it. They could have the whole thing. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Today I just got through talking to the, to the captain of the facility and she said this evening she got to tell Sacramento the warden and, and other concerned people that I'm on a homeless drug and why I'm on a homeless drug. But she only know about the incident that took place last Monday. She don't know the list of demands I'm right now. I'm right now the list of five demands. And when Keith come up here, give it to Keith and tell him, look, make a copy of that, give it to sis, and, and spread around, give it to Joe, Joe's and all them. So they know why I'm on this here. And, you know the potential that if something happened, they already know why. And how this 602 process went in and, and it's gone gone and served me no purpose. It's not my corruption went all through it. I think this, I think this is what I'm doing now.
that's going to be so powerful well i'll tell you like it's almost as if you you know you're like the 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 wise el well you are the wise elder but you're so prescient in in what you're talking about right now because um the whole idea behind legalized slavery taking place within our prisons is getting another rejuvenation out here so um i don't know if you know but california had the opportunity to uh, remove the slave language, the 13th Amendment Exception Clause language from its constitution. But Governor Newsom blocked blocked it by, by scaring the legislators and scaring the public into saying that we can't allow this to go to the ballot because it's too expensive. This and call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. It's too expensive to not have slavery. But there are five states in the country right now putting on the ballot the removal of slave language that's in their state constitutions. Louisiana, Alabama, Oregon, Tennessee, and Vermont all have measures to go on the ballot for people to um, decide. And Colorado, Utah, Nebraska, and Rhode Island have already taken that language out of their state constitutions.
You have 60 seconds remaining. They all talk to me today about this situation. One point I really resolve, please, is with... An inmate at this California healthcare facility, Stockton, California. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tell Link. Hello? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and I, I just, just came about, uh, and this rapidly did every day in summer, especially at night, that's why I do my best. Taking the right in at night and stuff. Mm. So, uh, you know, uh, I get up from, from 10 o'clock to 6 in the morning writing and stuff. Take me so long to write it. You know, I've been writing a couple of pages, but it takes me so long to write it because of my hand and stuff. Right. But I'll be still trying to write fast as I can. But, but doing that, it, it's, setting, it's setting a precedent. Because when I send him this letter, it's going to have on that seat tower, it's going to have at the top, it's going to say legalized slave seat tower. And that's how you're going to receive my letter. But you're going to also see how all the agency found me had no, no evidence, lucky evidence, or unfounded claim. Mm. And he had to ask himself, how did this get so far of them not correcting it? It's because they corrupt. They have no accountability. Mm -hmm. And I'm bringing that part out. I know I got... A lot of sisters and brothers that's behind CDC, they feel that ADA people isn't getting the proper treatment done by, uh, throughout the system. And I know the appeal process ain't working for us. So I'm speaking on, uh, on national issues, local, statewide, but national issues and not just this place where I'm at that affect other people's lives and stuff. So I'm doing it for them too. And I know that since I had this stroke, they're going to be a little urgent because the, the, the captain told me today, she said, you know, I didn't know you was on a hunger strike until yesterday. I, how long you been? I said, since Thursday last week. She said, they told me you did You was on was, was a day. Three days, your last meal was yesterday. I said, no. Nah. I said, I've been on this thing since Thursday last week. Mm. She said, oh, my God. She said, well, I got to talk to these people and let them know they had quarters, what's going on. I'd like to just take a moment to talk about a bit of a timeline here. So Satawa Nantamu Jama'a went into prison in 1981 as a youth for a crime that he didn't commit. He was then young Ronnie Dewberry and then was tortured by decades of solitary confinement. Again, security housing units up in Corcoran and Pelican Bay, um, the kind that was meant to break you or break them, these new African revolutionaries. Um, so after 31 years of that is now, and, and be, 
being victorious in the Ashgar v. Brown class action lawsuit to end the torture of solitary confinement, indefinite solitary confinement that they were being subjected to, um, is still in prison, suffered a stroke, and um, amongst many other things, was on medical parole. And now he is back in a uh, the California healthcare facility, which is a medical prison, um, because of lies and and lack of due process um, and corruption, let's just say, uh, from one of the parole officers. Um, and now he is an ADA patient. So he has gone from youth to elder to from, um, you know, a healthy individual to now a, uh, a medically uh, challenged and now and abused now and, and neglected elder in prison. He is on 41 years of being modern day enslaved, of being enslaved. This has got to change. But despite that, the beautiful work that he is doing, the continued work that he's doing, because that is how um, these new Africans roll. Um, it's can't stop, won't stop, and is continuing. And so uh, I just wanted to bring that to your attention, and then you will hear me uh, talk to him or mention Dr. Matulu Shakur. I don't know if you know right now of what's happening with Dr. Matulu Shakur. He has been, you know, he and his people, of course, uh, you know, his, his huge, huge support system has been working to try and get him free and get him free on compassionate release because he has stage four cancer and this is taking place in, in Kentucky and they just denied him compassionate release. He literally has like three months or less to live and they denied him compassionate release. Been out there. 
people understand. I ain't just talking. I've been through the mail before. I come to prison for a case I ain't never do. I went to the hole for 31 years. I was never a part of. And I became a revolution because of how they were treating us. They couldn't. You know, it was, it was racist then. And I understood it. And, and the older brother told me, you can't fight, you can't physically fight them like this, you know. You, you, have, to, you have to educate yourself. So that, that's how I became a revolutionary. They taught me, hey, be a thinker, man. Don't use your fist. Be a thinker. And that's what I did over the years. I learned how to think. Learned how to put things together. So I, I thank them for helping me get through this prison life. I've never been a part of You know, so whatever I could do to help all of them, and that's me, you know. You know, Jack Lee is only, only me. Now, I don't have no kids, I ain't got no wife. So I don't have to worry about people really, really thinking about that. I got friends, loved ones, This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. are such a brilliant uh, thinker. Oh my God, I, we learned so much from you. You are such a brilliant thinker. Every time I get to, you know, transcribe our conversations or, um, you know, copy edit any of your beautiful writings, I, I just feel like I am in, you know, sitting at the feet of Sitawa and, you know, in a, in a classroom. Oh, <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> You're brilliant. You're just brilliant and a, a real gift to us. Yeah, you know, they they open this can of worms. Uh, they sell. All I'm doing is up here delivering what they want, the food they want. I'm delivering and I'm letting the people understand. They wanted this because they created it. Just like society is a racist society, what people don't understand. You have 60 seconds remaining. The prison camps is a, is a racist, and there's a tenfold racism that's going on. But we have to deal with it. And before I cut off, let me say I send my love to you and everything. Take care. Your moms and your son, take care also. Okay, well, I will. We send our love back to you. Uh, we love you, Satawa, and we will talk soon. Okay. Bye. Okay, continue to hang, hang in there. Stay in there and call anytime, of course. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Love you. Bye bye.
As you could hear, I embarrassed Satawa a little about talking about sitting at his feet. Um, but he is also in good company because there are many of these uh, new African revolutionaries whose feet I would gladly sit uh, because of uh, how much they teach me, how much love they show, um, constantly uplifting the humanity in the, within themselves and thus within us. Uh, so they are uh, truly precious uh, and we do want to make sure that they get home. So we are going to take a quick musical break. If you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And I'm your host, Nube Brown. We are going, we have been listening to Satawa Nantambu Jama'a, who is a new African revolutionary, revolutionary humanist, who is imprisoned at California Healthcare Facility um, right now because he... Um, was um, he was violated um, unjustly and uh, was on medical parole, but is now back um, in a state prison, a medical facility. Uh, but he has been in prison for over, over 41 years now and on a, uh, a hunger strike. So uh, we will be listening to him and staying in contact with him about that. And you can also read his articles in the San Francisco Bay Views October, well, Actually, many months of um, hearing from Satawa Nantambu Jama'a, but go to www.sfbayview.com and uh, just put in his name and uh, you will be able to read uh, amazing work from him um, and uh, the works of many of these other uh, new African revolutionaries, activists uh, and revolutionary humanists. We are going to take a quick musical break, and then we will come back uh, with the third episode of the Dope is Death podcast that is a a complement to the short documentary about Dr. Mutulu Shakur and his acupuncturist work and opening up a, uh, a clinic that still exists to this day um, uh, to, to help heal... Uh, the addictions uh, of people who are addicted to heroin um, in the South Bronx. Um, and this revolutionary work landed him in prison. He has been denied uh, compassionate release, even though he only has a few months to live. So we are going to be giving him his flowers uh, before um, the uh, a, a tragedy takes uh, place and he is not able to be released to be home with his family uh, before he uh, dies in prison. So um, hope you will stay with us and we'll see you back in a bit after this musical break. Ignorance or disgrace, tell me who are they? 
That was Stevie Wonder with Pastime Paradise. And we are actually going to hear, I'm going to read a piece out of, an excerpt out of the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex before we actually get into the uh, episode three of Dope is Death. Again, if you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5, and I am your host, Nube Brown. All right, so we are now on page 16, and we are going to get into the indictment part two, Acts of Direct Racketeering Activity in Prison by CDC Small R Officials, Indictment Count 3, Assault. CDC small R employees have knowingly and intentionally engaged in a pattern of physical assaults on prisoners, both with and without firearms, and directly engaged in orchestrating assaults on individuals and groups of prisoners by other prisoners acting as proxies, most often racial attacks against new African black prisoners, in a pattern of violence carried out under color of law specifically designed to deprive those subject to those assaults of their most basic constitutional protections under the 1st, 8th, and 14th Amendments, USC, in furtherance of a criminal enterprise. 
Over the course of CDCR's tenure, there have been numerous instances of assaults on prisoners by staff and assaults of prisoners orchestrated by staff, some so politically repressive, massively brutal, or particularly debased that they've taken on historic significance. Like the gladiator fights, for instance. These instances of assaults are so numerous and the names of individual perpetrators so voluminous that listing each individual act is beyond the scope of this indictment. However, the instances of officer-led and or officer-orchestrated assaults are so common that for purposes of this indictment, we will recount some of the most significant types of assaults that have been carried out in furtherance of this criminal enterprise. So I'm not going to go into that. What I am going to go into, though, is this last paragraph of the preamble, which we could read um, literally every single day, the preamble itself. But here's that last statement as to why we are doing this. If there is ever to be any confidence in the integrity of the mechanisms of governance and political safety, the system itself must be indicted, its structural corruption exposed, and alternative forms of social organization explored as a surer means of our collective security. Joka Hashima Jinsai. That, of course, um, really puts a point on, or Satawa's statement really puts a point on this particular statement. Um, okay, um, we are actually going to go ahead and get into uh, um, the Dope is Death, the, the third episode of that podcast. Uh, I do want to remind you that we are in our fall fun drive here at KPOO, and I hope that you will go to um, either the website or mail in your donation today. We want to make sure that um, this historic, uh, legendary, and incredibly important um, independent uh, black-owned, black-run radio station continues on into the future. We are going to need it as we continue to uh, fight vigorously for our human and civil rights. And, um, and yeah, just keep it going. We want to be Can't Stop, Won't Stop, and we need our... Um, independent radio station uh, by our side as we move forward. So be sure to make that contribution by going to kpoo.com um, if you want to donate online or mail in your donation to P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. It's important for us to understand that the struggle for our liberation is a complete process problem, and which requires of us to be prepared to address the causes of our oppression. In the 1970s, as heroin ravaged New York City, political radicals, including members of the Black Panther Party and the Young Lords, pioneered the use of acupuncture to treat addiction. Dr. Matula Shakur led this movement and founded the first community acupuncture detox clinic in North America. Over a decade later, he was listed among the FBI's 10 most wanted. Montreal-based filmmaker Mia Donovan explores the hidden history of how the Lincoln Detox Program took on the public health care system, Big Pharma, and the war on drugs. Civil rights hero or enemy of the state, Dr. Shakur has been incarcerated for over 30 years. Dope as death, the podcast asks, why is he really still in prison?
in order for us to find out who we are, we have to go through that proper education. We have to go through, you know, being taught by our own is the most important thing. That's one of the key things that I learned from Mutula also is that we have to teach our own people in order to pull them out of the conditions of self-hate, trauma, mental health illnesses and things of that nature because all this stuff is prevalent in the black community because we're going through such a, you know, a genocide. In this episode of Dope is Death, we will be looking at how the political education classes at Lincoln Detox empowered the community and at the same time were viewed as threatening by the state. We will be talking to two individuals whose lives were both positively transformed by their relationship with Dr. Matula Shakur, Haki Kweli Shakur and Dr. Shadidi Beatrice Kinsey. Here's Haki Shakur. He first started corresponding with Matulu 20 years ago when he was in his early 20s. Going to school like during the 80s and the early 90s is when I was in the public educational system. The first thing that I noticed was the lack of teaching us about ourselves. And, and, I, and I believe that that is the most damaging part of the public education system is the lack of teaching one's history. Like the history was totally, totally focused on European history, or if you want to say American history, but it was totally focused on their history. So this is how destabilization of our communities began. It begins with the educational system. We left episode two with the establishment of the first community acupuncture detox clinic in North America, the Lincoln Detox. It was an operation between 1970 and 1978. Professor Joanna Fernandez from that episode takes us into the next chapter with the closure of Lincoln Detox and ultimately the conviction of Dr. Matula Shakur under the RICO Act. The details of Dr. Shakur's complicated case will be explored in depth in the next episode. Here's Professor Fernandez. Whatever excuses and justifications the city gave for shutting down the Lincoln Detox program in 1978, the fact is that the program had earned international acclaim. We're not making this up. It was cited by the United Nations for its success. It was cited as the largest and most effective program of its kind. Uh, by the National Institute of Drug Abuse, by the National Acupuncture Research Society, and the World Academic Society of Acupuncture. The problem was that Lincoln Hospital was a site of resistance. And there was a systematic attempt on the part of the American government through the FBI and its counterintelligence program to neutralize all sites of resistance because by 1970, American hegemony was hell-bent on restoring its authority and legitimacy, which had been challenged epically by Vietnamese guerrillas abroad, but also by the Black Panthers, the women's movement, the gay and lesbian liberation movement, the civil rights movement. And, and the destruction of Lincoln Detox is part of that larger campaign that sought to delegitimize the highest aspirations of the movements of the 1960s. In order to fully comprehend how potentially threatening the government perceived these resistance movements, we need to study the history of COINTELPRO. 
COINTELPRO was a covert counterintelligence program set up by the FBI, and its main purpose was to discredit, disrupt, and neutralize organizations considered a threat to American political stability. To achieve this, J. Edgar Hoover, who led this program, clarified in a memo that efforts must be made to prevent the rise of a black messiah who could unify and electrify the militant black nationalist movement. Matula Shakur was only 20 years old when he was hired as a political educator because of his work with the Republic of New Africa, a black nationalist organization working towards the self-determination of black Americans. What distinguishes the Republic of New Africa from other civil rights organizations is that they want to establish a new and separate African nation with the land of the five southern states of South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana. It was Dr. Shakur's involvement in this political organization that first caught the attention of COINTELPRO back in 1968. The civil rights movement was created in order for African-Americans, Black people, you know, to strategically fight against the ruling class in the system in a more nonviolent way, a protested way against racial segregation. And they were demanding equal rights and to be integrated into a integrated society. You had Dr. Martin Luther King and all these great individuals of the civil rights movement who were only trying to do it through nonviolent means, through protests, just, you know, just to get a seat at the table, if, if that makes sense to you. They wanted a seat at the table of America, as well as the black nationalist movement, the movement that's not really talked about, sought to seek more of we wanted our own, meaning we wanted our own political system, our own nation, our own land, our own uh, economic system, our own political control over our destiny, our lives as a people. And this is where the conflict came into, because now you, you take the white dominant society and their ruling class, where they start to criminalize the black nationalist movement as terrorists as, you know, individuals who are out here to cause trouble, or they were militants, they were out to seek violence, they wanted to murder and kill white people, which was far, far, far from the truth. When people rise up in the spirit of Kujichagalia self-determination, we become targets of the powers that be because of the control factor. And Matulu chose this path. And so, yeah, he's the enemy of the state because the state is about oppression. It's about white supremacy and, and, and racism. That's acupuncturist and activist, Dr. Shadidi Beatrice Kinsey, speaking from her clinic, the Peace Health Center in Brooklyn. Dr. Kinsey first met Matulu when she was a journalist and then became his student. She went on to become the first black woman to be licensed as an acupuncturist in New York. Her clinic is housed in the same home she grew up in near Bed-Stuy, a neighborhood currently undergoing heavy gentrification. We can hear construction noise outside her window while she's doing this interview. Matulu, again, seeing the one area that so many times is so overlooked, with the health, the health of the people. And this is what we were taught, to treat the whole person, 
because we each paint our own landscape. See, because it's not only the physical, that's the manifestation that we see, but to how those emotions and how the spirit is affected, it's not just asthma, it's just not hypertension. It's what the person is going through emotionally, what organs are affected, all of these different things. This all ties in historically. It's passed from one generation to the other because the oppression is passed from one generation to the other. That fear and how it attacks the anxiety, how it attacks the kidneys. So it's, 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 no, it's, it's no mystery that as African people in America, we are such a high percentage of dialysis patients? The kidneys? For hundreds of years? Centuries? The fear of January the 2nd? Auction day? Then we go into the auction block? You go through, you stop. Do the police come over to your car? You, you, you stopped at a red light? Stop it, Fritz. Hear what they're saying. What they're going to Understand that. And how these organs are affected. How the emotions, how the spirit, and how it manifests. We were taught this. We were equipped with this. This barefoot doctor concept. Matula Shakur grew up as the only son of a single mother who was blind from glaucoma. He was her eyes from an early age. It was while helping her to navigate the welfare and medical systems that he experienced blatant racial injustice firsthand. This is where his commitment to accessible healthcare for all began. Matula wanted to spread acupuncture throughout all the medically underserved communities across America, which were disproportionately poor, black, and brown. He compared his vision to the barefoot doctors of the People's Republic of China. Before the establishment of the People's Republic, medical services were almost non-existent here, as in most agricultural areas throughout China. Chairman Mao insisted that in health and medical work, the stress should be on the rural areas. The primary motivation for becoming a barefoot doctor must be to serve the people. And I seen that this was uh, um, another tool in our struggle for liberation and a higher level of human life to bring these services to our medically underserved community. And it was natural. And this is why this is why he's behind bars. The medical work is the was the most important work in the revolutionary work of it all because it's like we're taking control of our health. We're getting the proper, you know, health and universal health care that we always needed as oppressed people, whether you were Chicano, uh, Puerto Rican, African, and even and people like to do this out, even the poor uh, Europeans or the poor whites, however you want to label them. So this is why you started to see them attack, uh, you know, like the acupuncture program, Lincoln Detox and all these type of things, because a lot of this medical um, work was done for free. And it was and, and it was taking money out of the pharmaceutical 
company's pockets. Basically, before I met Dr. Matula Shakur, I was basically, you know, trying to find myself as a, as a young black male in the society. I was trying to find myself, and there was a lot of things that was happening in my community, and specifically in my household, like the murder of my brother at an early age. After my brother was killed, I was starting to notice a lot of my people being killed. So I just started noticing a whole lot of violence that was really traumatizing, especially when it hit close to home. When you when you lose a blood relative like that at an early age, that's very traumatizing. As I'm growing up as a teenager in the teenager years, I'm seeing more of that happening. I'm seeing the violence increase in the 90s. And I'm seeing people going to prison more in the 90s. So that's the major thing that I was in search of far as finding who I was as a black kid growing up in the society, I wanted to know why were these things happening? Why was my father a drug addict? Why was many of the people in my community drug addicts and, you know, all this death, incarceration? Matula Shakur has been addressing these same questions since 1970 as a political education instructor at the Lincoln Detox. Even back then, he understood how the drug trade always serves the political agenda of the ruling class. The war on drugs was officially launched in 1971 by President Richard Nixon, a year after the Lincoln Detox first started educating the people on how drugs were being weaponized by the state. On my first visit to Dr. Shakur in prison in 2014, he admitted that even he couldn't have imagined how far the war on drugs would go. From the inside, he's witnessed the prison population explode from 300,000 in 1986 to over 2 million today as a result of the controversial drug laws implemented over the 80s and 90s. And so what we had was war, a war developing in a way that we had never seen before. The type of killing and maiming that was going on in our communities and so we developed a, a, a character that, that counters every moral fiber that we've had, that allows them to implement laws, laws after laws after laws, crime bill after crime bill after crime bill, slowly eating away of any constitutional rights and protection. And they're aiming it at the indigenous, but the effect is on the whole population. And the American people are riding this white horse right to hell by allowing the government to continue to implement these type of genocidal programs so that in the 21st century, we have highly technical slaves working in these prisons all over this country and all over their colonies, providing cheap labor, undermining the workers of America. The main thing of Cartel Pro in the counterintelligence program was to discredit these individuals and to criminalize these individuals and paint them to the world or, and paint them to our society as individuals who were corrupt, terrorists, criminals, and things of that nature. So that's, that's the thing people have to go look for when they study in Cartel Pro. The major strategy that they used was to discredit the Black Power Movement, to discredit credit the Black Panther Party, to discredit the Republic of New Africa, to discredit the Young Lords, the, um, the um, 
the the aim, the uh, American Indian movement and all these great movements and political organizations, they had to criminalize them. They had to paint them to society as people that wasn't doing good work. They were criminals. So it's all about power and control. They didn't want us to have a power and control or a say-so in this government or in this society. So they had to do what they had to do to suppress that and repress that at all cost, is which is why the Quarantel Pro initiated the strategies and the taxes to attack these organizations, dismantle them and erase them and try to erase them out of history. After the closure of the Lincoln Detox in 1978, Dr. Matulu Shakur, along with others from the Lincoln Detox, moved to Harlem and founded BANA, the Black Acupuncture Advisory Association of America. It all ended with the infamous Brinks Armored Truck Robbery of 1981. We will discuss this case in the next episode. Here's a clip of Matulu from 1986 before going to trial. They charged me with six armored truck robberies, the liberation of Asada Shakur, and using illegally gained funds to finance camp for black children in Mississippi and to put a acupuncture clinic in Harlem, part of the so-called enterprise I was accused of financing with illegally gained funds. In episode four, we will be talking to two individuals directly involved in Dr. Matulu Shakur's legal battle. They will discuss how he ended up in prison and why he remains behind bars after 34 years. We will be talking to Shakur's longtime comrade and former manager, Tupac Shakur, Otani Tiemba, as well as one of his current lawyers, Brad Thompson from the People's Law Office. The producers would like to thank Tayemba Jess for allowing us to use an excerpt from his 1992 telephone interview with Dr. Matulu Shakur from Lompoc Federal Prison for WHBK Radio in Chicago. And thank you to Lee 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 for his generous support in allowing us access to his full interview with Dr. Matulu Shakur from his important documentary, All Power to the People, The Black Panther Party and Beyond. This podcast was produced by I Steel Film, a documentary production company based in Montreal, Canada. The four-part podcast series is based on the documentary feature film, Dope is Death, created with the financial participation of the Canada Media Fund and Super Channel Entertainment Network. Written, directed, and hosted by Mia Donovan, with the creative collaboration of sound designer Lynn Trepanier, and story editing and additional writing by Sarah Musgrave. Sound mixed by Simon Plouffe. Additional narration by Latif Martin, with music by Ramachandra Borakar. Produced by Mia Donovan and Lynn Trepanier. Supervising producer Katie Mackay. Executive producer Bob Moore. Thank you to Corey Vizos and Samantha Neboshiski. For more information, visit dopestdeath.com. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. We hope you will participate in the call to action to support Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a by contacting the acting warden, Gina Jones, at 209-467-2522. And please demand that Sitawa Ronnie Dewberry, his number is C35671, be given the necessary assistance and physical therapy that he needs. And also, please... Uh, visit the website of Dr. Matulu Shakur at matulushakur.com. I want to make sure that we give him his flowers now. I have not heard whether he has been uh, released to his family. 
Um, we want to support our political prisoners. We want to bring them home, free the land, all power to the people. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. <laughs>